to MLR Kickoff, episode 62, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Hey folks, welcome to episode 62. It is an absolute blockbuster of a show. We have four, that's right, four interviews on today's show. We will talk to Elaine Vassy of the Dallas Jackals, Tim O'Brien, the St. Mary's coach, longtime collegiate coach in the US, plus the first ever first round draft pick, Connor Mooneyham. And uh, the yet to be named, I don't think, uh, as I welcome in Pete Steinberg, Pete, I don't think we'll call him Mr. Irrelevant. We'll, we'll have to figure out a name uh, away from the NFL for Cole Zarconi, who was, of course, the last pick for the San Diego Legion in the draft the other week. But uh, let's get Pete Steinberg in the show. Pete, how are you, brother? I'm, I'm doing well, and I'd, I'd encourage everyone to hang around and, and uh, hear about Cole's experience on draft day, because I think being 24th might have made it a little bit more special than if he was picked in the middle of the draft. But Dan, I'm, I'm doing well, doing well. The draft was exciting. It was great to be able to look at some of the young potential players. It's been great to be able to talk to um, some coaches and some, um, you know, GMs. It, I, I think, I know that there was a lot of, um, you know, there's been a lot of uh, discussion about whether Major League Rugby is ready for a draft, whether, you know, it's uh, premature. But, um, you know, I, I was excited by it. I thought, um, you and Danny uh, and George did a did a great job. Yeah, George and Danny were the real stars of the show, weren't they? I just kind of held on with my iPad and did the best I possibly could, Pete. But but, so, uh, I have a question on your iPad. Was that for sh- that was just for show, right? Like, like you you had all of that stuff in your head, and that iPad was you were just there because you didn't want to embarrass anyone because, like, you know your your head your your mind is a lockbox, right? Okay, let's just hang on, stop recording just for a second, and I'll just whisper it to you, Pete. Um, I was actually playing solitaire on the iPad the whole game. Whole, no, I'm just kidding. I was uh, I was working through frantically finding draft picks. So um, another big shout out to our producer, Aaron Castro. He was an absolute superstar on the day, helping us with all that player identification, pulling information at the last minute. And uh, so it was, it was pretty seamless. I mean, we'll have some changes to the draft and we can talk about that on another show maybe. But I, I was pretty happy with how things went. I think overall the feedback's been really positive, Pete. There was some scepticism coming into it and probably deservedly so because it was so new to rugby. But uh, I gave it a two thumbs up, a big old A+. a+. I think it was a great show and a great step forward for the league. Yeah, and you know it was it was great entertainment, right? I mean, it was like we were sitting there. There was some names pulled that you were like, "Who is that?" Right? There were some um, you know stars picked early. Uh, you know, there were stars that dropped out. I think it was uh, it, it had all the all the tension that you have in in, in other drafts. So um, I agree. I thought I thought the show was great. You know, I still think there's a lot of work that that the league needs to do, um, and I don't think anyone involved in it. Um, you know, denies that. I think that there's still some challenges with, um, you know, uh, signing players, players moving. I think those are all true, but I think those have been true before Major League Rugby. So, you know, I think, um, and I think the draft creates value in college players. So I think it's going to be good for the college game as a whole. Yeah, I think you've touched on this a few times, Pete, just the depth that it forced teams to look at the college game. And that's why we probably heard some names that people weren't expecting because teams were really digging deep. They were, they're doing their research. And, and as we'll hear from uh, Tim O'Brien in a little bit, and Elaine Vassy too, who was on the other side of that, uh, you know, the, the coin there, teams did do some, dig, uh, some pretty deep digging into players and, and it helped them make the picks that maybe were a little left field 
from the outside looking in, but once you kind of hear the explanation behind them, it actually makes a lot of sense to why they were picked. So yeah, all good, all positive people, very happy. Yeah, and, and I think that there's, you know, if there's one thing that um, I've taken away in talking with coaches and GMs in Major League Rugby is that the best thing you can do if you're a college player and you want to be drafted is make sure that your team is getting quality video. I think that that's probably one of the big things that there are, you know, players that they wanted to look at where they just weren't able to find video, um, you know, that they can do. You know, so I think hopefully that's going to put some of the uh, – um, you know, some of these teams, because we've got guys that were, you know, um, uh, looked at that weren't from, you know, D1A, they weren't from these top teams. Um, and so, you know, all, all, those, all those players that, that, that want to get drafted, talk to your coaches and um, tell them to get a ladder and a decent camera. Ladder and it's, it's some scaffolding. Some Go scaffolding. out and find a construction sponsor and get some scaffolding thrown in part of the deal and get some uh, film because I think you touched on it with quite a few players leading up to the draft that we're looking at. Uh, it's, it's hard. It was hard to look at highlights and really give a good evaluation. You had to find a full game. And even then it was tough because you've got a side camera and that was kind of it. And we've been kind of spoiled in the last few years with the quality of the production going up with major league rugby on what we expect now for rugby right. in the U S so. Absolutely. Well, there we go. Hey, well, let's just dive into our interviews. Our first block. We're going to talk to Elaine Vassi, the assistant GM, and we're going to talk to Tim O'Brien, a good friend of mine who's been involved in uh, the college game with St. Mary's for a long, long time. So without further ado, Peter Steinberg, let's welcome him to the show. Joined now by assistant GM and the attack coach for the newly formed Dallas Jackals, Elaine Vassi. Elaine, thank you very much for joining the show. An absolute pleasure to have you with uh, Pete and myself tonight. Thanks very much for having me. Well, let's get things started first and foremost before we dive into the intimate details of Dallas. The Elaine Vassy story, it's an exciting one and it's one that's brought you to Dallas. Can you give us a quick rundown of how you ended up in Dallas after a very decorated rugby career yourself over in the UK? Oh, thank you. Um, probably an interesting story. Actually, my husband was invited out to play originally, so we just came back from Italy He'd been offered to come out here for the Griffins, which is owned originally by Phil Cam. Um, so he came out, I'd came to visit on holiday, did a little bit of coaching. And Phil had essentially said, look, if we can get a visa, we'll move to Division One next year. Would you be interested in coming out and heading up our, our coaching here? So that brought us to, to Dallas and we, we liked it. Was it an easy transition when the Jackals were formed and came knocking, you know, to, uh, to translate, transition over from the Griffins with Phil to the Jackals? I think, um, so we'd gone back home. So we did two years with the Griffins, gone back to the UK, realized we missed Dallas an awful lot. Actually, the people, the culture, the lifestyle, um, the rugby and the opportunity, I think, the rugby. So we came back out 2018. And at that stage, I think with probably the rest of Dallas, you know, everyone was keen for MLR to come to Dallas, but, but waiting for that to happen. Um, so when obviously Phil had partnered up with Donny and you know plans became more serious for this year yeah it was great to get that you know call and essentially know that this this was now happening it was something that everyone had always intended and wanted but actually this was now you know a plan forming to deliver so yeah that was a that was a great conversation now obviously we um just uh, <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago we had the very first major league rugby draft 
Um, can you talk a little bit about how Dallas approached that draft and maybe um, what your role it was in identifying players and, and how you built your board and, and that sort of process? Yeah, we were really excited. I think the collegiate draft, I think probably in, well, on a personal level, that's a totally new you know, experience coming from the UK. That's not how sports operate um, there. I think, you know, my experience of drafting would probably be watching the NFL draft, you know, staying up because of the time difference a few times and, you know, getting insight into that. Um, so I think the concept was interesting to us. I think it also fitted really well with, for us as an organization, the desire to support and develop domestic talent and their pathways through to professional rugby and through to international rugby. Um, so we essentially recruited a team of four finders um, that I'd worked closely with going through the initial, every applicant that came through essentially, so just over 400. Um, about 200 of them had film attached to that application. So we worked together, looked through those players, assessed what footage we had and when there wasn't footage, what we could find. And then they made their recommendations as to who we started to look into in a little bit more detail. Did you, um, did you feel a lot of pressure having the number one pick? I mean, that's obviously like his, historic, but also it's, it's a valuable pick. So, so what, you know, did, did you guys feel pressure or you were just pretty confident after your research that you were able to do what you needed to do? Yeah, I think we, we put a lot of time and effort in, um, in terms of the, the process and the research to get that to that point. I think it's, it's funny you saying in terms of it being historic, because I don't actually think that dawned on us in terms of, obviously it's the first draft we're doing, it's the first draft I would be doing in that capacity. But actually then we did catch ourselves kind of, as you approached that week and realized, look, this is actually the first ever MLR draft the first pick is always going to be the first pick. That's never going to change. Um, so there's probably a slight you know, awareness of that later in the process, rather than it being something we were necessarily conscious of earlier on. I think we'd, we'd stayed quite on tune with our plans and our needs, um, yeah, before we got to that point. All right, as history shows us, you went with Connor Mooneyham out of Life University with number one. Where in the process did you and the staff at Dallas decide that Connor was going to be the number one pick and what went into that? Like, how did you get to that conclusion that you wanted Connor Mooneyham first? Yeah, so we, to give you a bit of insight, I guess, into that process, we'd essentially, we did two trial drafts. So we spent two Saturday mornings with our team four going through, you know, what does the draft order look like? And each of them had their own spec as to how they would draft. So we kind of role played through that to get an idea of, you know, what was our short list? Um, and our shortlist probably at that point being 26 players. Um, we then had phone call conversations with 22 of them in the week preceding the draft. Um, Alan Clark had spoke to um, some of those as well, including Connor. And I think for us, there was a positional need where we were keen to look at back three players. We were keen to look at back row. Um, and with Connor, you know, and, and the other players that we've selected, there was definitely a, we felt we had the right people that wanted to develop, that felt within our program we could develop, so that they would be competing for starting positions within our squad. Um, and I think that's probably true for the, for the four players we've took. They've all been fairly ambitious, you know, and keen to be developed, but also open to what is the next step and what support are we going to be able to provide to help them move forward with their achievements as well. So probably as much on the person as it is on, the, on their playing CV. 
Well, it's been fascinating to hear about the build-up to the draft, and there's nothing more frustrating for an assistant GM like yourself than less than 24 hours before the draft starts, you go and make a trade, and you have two more picks, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, we went from two, 26 into two, now we're going 26 into four picks. Yeah. How did that trade come about, and then how much scrambling did you and your team have to do once you had four picks instead of two on the Saturday? I think, uh, to be honest, we'd done, we did our practice draft rounds. We did four rounds as our kind of practice. Um, and I think because we put that much time on the front end, actually to some extent there was a, there was a feeling of, okay, great, we've got, we've got four picks. Actually, that's better. Um, when that got tabled to us, certainly Alan and I had some conversations as to how does that fit? What does that look like with the rest of our positional needs and the people that we have recruited or are in process of doing that? And then we went to the ownership and said, look, how does this, you know, we see this as aligning really nicely with our bigger picture plan to underpin American development. And I think the buy-in from them in terms of understanding that was fantastic. Well, that was the support that, you know, across the organization we are bought into, that is what we will hang our hat on. So having two extra picks at that stage actually was, was a great opportunity for us. When, you know, you've talked a couple of times about this idea of developing American talent. I mean, you have to create a, uh, um, a brand new roster while teams already have their rosters set. Obviously, you know, some of the Glendale players that have MLR experience um, through a draft have been, you know, are coming available to you. But can you talk a little bit about the approach that the Dallas Jackals has taken on um, developing the roster? And are you... Is it very Dallas-focused, or are you pulling players that aren't in MLR? Have you found players playing club rugby that you think are good enough from around the country? Like, how's how's that process kind of working out for you? Yeah, so I think it's been it's certainly been interesting for us in Colorado. It's obviously something when we started the process, we didn't know that was going to happen. Um, so actually, that was a really good opportunity, and we probably spoke to a volume of players through that that we didn't necessarily think we would have the opportunity to speak to. Um, and again, that, that fitted with us actually being able to recruit a, a volume of domestic talent that had MLR experience. Um, so that certainly was beneficial to us. I think, you know, our overall recruitment process, we've looked at, you know, what's the spine of our team? You know, let's look at what key positions and where we feel we need to get experience there. And that experience where we have gone, you know, or potentially will go outside of domestic market is about the right people that combines the project of what we're saying we would like to do and actually can facilitate the style of play that we feel would advance domestic talent. Um, we're, we're not looking for journeymen. We're looking for people that will buy into that and actually share our vision. And that's going to be key for us in terms of going back to the, you know, the collegiate draft. It's about the people that, that have the ambition to be within a program that can, that can support that and, and can grow together. When you think about developing your roster, do you think about it in, you know, is it is, is right now, hey, look, let's just get a roster together that can compete and then we'll manage it? Or are you already thinking two or three years down the line? And how does that link to sort of the owner's expectation in the first year? I think for us, what we want to showcase in year one is a credible product on field. I think we'll be very honest in terms of saying, look, the big vision, the big picture for us is that pathway. Obviously that means we'll have a relatively young squad. Um, that should give us an exciting opportunity to, you know, to play. Um, 
we have to we have to buy into that as part of our process and yeah absolutely there's ambitions in terms of league standing you know as we look further down the line but I think where we're really blessed is actually having an ownership that understand and support you know and encourage the development aspect along with that um and I think that's that's a luxury to be honest in, in professional sport so yeah I think those things align and we're we're excited about that for sure well, Lane, I can speak for Pete and myself. We're both very excited to see you with the Dallas Jackals and look forward to catching up at some point next season when the Jackals are uh, taking the, the field for the first time in Major League Rugby. And I uh, appreciate you joining the show and all the best with the Dallas franchise. should be a great year to be not only a fan of Dallas, but Texas rugby. Three teams now. Have you, have you reached out to the Gilgronies to see if the Texas Cup's on the line? <laughs> I'm sure that conversation will come up at some point. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it will. Well, again, appreciate you joining the show. Excited for yourself and the whole staff there at Dallas. And congratulations on an amazing draft and what should be an amazing 2021 for Dallas. Thanks very much for having me. All right, we are joined now by St. Mary's head coach, Tim O'Brien and OB. Long time uh, you and I have known each other. It's great to finally have you on the show. And for those who aren't in the know, let's get them up to speed real quickly not directly involved with Major League Rugby, yet potentially 16 of your players will be playing in Major League Rugby next year. St. Mary's, an unbelievable rugby nursery. Tell us a little bit about the program first and foremost, and then how you get these guys ready for professional rugby in such a, you know, an efficient manner. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, I'm not sure if six, you're probably being too kind here with 16. I think it might be like more like 13. Um, I don't think we do it to have a focus on, on the MLR. I think the focus here is just loving the game and trying to be absolutely trying to squeeze the most we can out of all the kids. You know, um, I'd say for our program, yes, you want to compete for a national championship, but I think our duty has always been to try to develop the players to be the best that they can be. You know, um, it's an enormous step though, man, from college to this MLR. Uh, there's, there's, we talk about pathways. I kind of joke about a little bit, not too many stones on this pathway. Um, but I would say to add value to what we can do or could do for the MLR, we got a lot of dudes that have a lot of tricks in their bag, you know, and uh, they're very multi-skilled, multi-talented guys that approach the game like professionals. They approach the college game like professionals. And I think they'll, they can all, they all fit in quite seamlessly, you know, and there's a couple dudes. One kid playing who, uh, Colby Stevens, who came in, he was like 30% body fat starting with us, you know, third team halfback. He's a badass now. I mean, he's, um, he's, he's playing a bit in the MLR. And it's impressive. I mean, it's, you know, hard work. Hard work and commitment and gets, getting deeply involved in something you love, you know, gets you there. Gives well, you the opportunity to participate. Well, 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 Tim, I think, as, as Dan mentioned, um, St. Mary's is a place where uh, players really develop well. And one of the really interesting players for me is Derek Elkington. Sorry, Ellingson. Excuse yeah. me, Derek Ellingson. Um, and he, so he, uh, he started playing with you. hadn't played rugby before. Had played um, some high-level hockey. Can you talk about, like, what it was, you know, what it was like when he first started and the journey he has to um, being an MLR player now? Yeah, yeah, so... He, uh, he was a high-profile hockey kid, um, had some family struggles, hockey, he kind of he aged out of hockey, 
and came to St. Mary's and actually played some club soccer, which I didn't really know much about till recently. Played a bit of club soccer and uh, he was working at the rec center. Met a bunch of rugby guys. You know, St. Mary's is a pretty small place, you know, 1,000 dudes, 1,100 guys. And um, came, out, came out for rugby and I'd say, let's say we start the third week of September with some fitness work. Guy just comes out, runs a 19.1 on the yo-yo, does a 450 and change, 451 in a Bronco and can pop out his body weight on the bench, you know, 13 to 15 times, right? And then while you're talking to him about it, he can look you in the eye and do a backflip. So obviously that's a guy that you want to look great, <laughs> right? And say, hey man, this, this guy, I'll find something good to happen here. So, um, you know, you just put a ball in his hand and let him run around. You just have a couple of rules, you know, here or there, run this way, run to space, pass, don't get tackled, et cetera. And uh, you just want these dream come true for a, for a coach. You know, you can put him, he's long and lean um, and, you know, great defender. Obviously, from hockey, he has a spatial awareness. It's extraordinary. So, you know, you get a guy like that, man. It's just great to mold. You don't overcoach him for sure. Um, and he plays center, played a little bit in the back. And he was extraordinary as a freshman. And then, as you guys all know, the sophomore year comes around and he stinks, you know. He's starting to think about play. You know, we don't want guy. I mean, you know what I'm saying? He just would think and overthink and then overthink you know, the overthought, and he was not, he was, wasn't good. So once we got that sort of out of his system, he had an extraordinary year in his, his third year. And, um, you know, great team guy, huge IQ, always wants to do the extra work. You know, it's just all the little things that you want to do. I don't think in those days he was thinking about playing pro. He's just thinking about cutting into the 15 or, you know, starting all the time. And, uh, you know, we, pop, we, we don't – we're not too shy at St. Mary's about – New guy, let's say like Derek, his first year, sticking him, in, stuffing him on the first team. And then the next week he's playing on the third team. Like, that's just the way it goes. His, his teammates embrace him and they see the talent that he has. Um, he had a nice third year. Um, unfortunately, it ended with a, a crazy kick off his right foot to the right sideline in the last couple of seconds of a Cal game. And uh, that's what inspired him to come back in his last year. And, uh, he was extraordinary again. He just was building on this, on building on the skills that he'd already worked on, and um, you know, he's just just a dream to have. I don't know what to say, man. He's just a lot of guys. We're really blessed at the college to have guys like that. Yeah, it's been a great rise for Derek too. Going third overall in the draft must have been an amazing moment, not only for for him but yourself as well, playing a big part in his development as a young man. Now let, let's shift focus now on to the fifth pick, which was Aaron Matthews. You have two guys go in the top five. In my opinion, Matthews was probably the best rugby player in the draft in terms of being able to step onto a field and contribute immediately. Uh, he goes to Seattle. What are the Seawolves going to get in Aaron Matthews in 2021? What are they going to get with Aaron? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, he's a kid that's grown up, you know, pretty tough, some family circumstances. Another one like Derek. Um, very skilled when he came to us. Um, just like Derek, you, you know, played some fly half. Can slot right in a fly half. Um, Aaron came in, kind of touted. We didn't even know who he was. He came up with this buddy of his, you know, 6'1", 300, you know, all this great talk about this guy. And we got the first day of practice, and that mountain of a man could barely move. And, and Aaron was incredibly gifted. So 
we, we just popped Aaron into 10, a position he had never played before as a freshman. So he just gets plowed in, play 10. And he did that for a number of months till into February. And, you know, once we got into February, he moved into uh, center. And what Seattle ends up getting is an extremely high IQ guy, um, extraordinary talents, great, and great strength to weight ratio. Um, and I think, you know, uh, he, he's just, he, he's coached a lot. And I think in, with that coaching, um, it just made him a better player. I think that, well, there's a saying out there, the quote, you know, to teach is to learn twice. And, and that's Aaron. You know, he's, he's just a, a great student. Um, they're going to get a guy that will – they'll push a lot of people around him, but he can fill a lot of slots. You know, he can play – he has to play 10. He can play 10, uh, 12. I think he's very gifted at 13, and he's very gifted in the back at 15. And he's a very different type player at 13 than he is at, at 15. So um, he's just a gem to have on a team. Extraordinary. Extraordinary guy, you know. So you have another player that um, uh, is leaving St. Mary's and getting the MLR this time as um, a free agent. So um, Tom Brusardi, who is your third now scrum half in, in MLR, played behind um, um, Holden Younger and um, Sean Jacobian. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about, about that kind of uh, why St. Mary's is producing so many good halfbacks, all, all of whom <laughs> seem to be MLR worthy, and maybe a little bit, about kind of what it showed from Tom to kind of be a backup for all those years before his senior year. Yeah. Yeah. I would say a couple of things, you know, we had, we had Joey Reavy, who's a superstar, right? So we had Joey Reavy before Holden. Um, to me, when, just to go back a little bit, guys, you know, with Holden, it's like in the movie Miracle, you know, when, uh, when the coach says to the guys, you know, boys, you were born to be hockey players. Holden Younger was born to be a number nine. And when you watch him play, he's horrible at other positions. You know, don't tell him I said that. Um, and, you know, you have Holden, who really became very special in his last year. Um, Tom is going through the paces, playing whenever and wherever he can at nine, in the back of touch. He's thinking it's going to be his job. And all of a sudden, you know, you got this number nine that's warming up doing 225 on the bench press. And when Jacobian came, when Sean came, I didn't know he was a – a nine. I thought he was a flanker. I didn't know anything about, you know, that's kind of the way it is at St. Mary's dude to show up. And Tom just took it, man. Like, okay, where am I going to fit in? He would train with Sean every day, whatever they could do to become better ball players. And, you know, hundred, 200 touches a day. Um, and then, you know, he just, I don't know, he just worked at his craft. Um, it was a, it was a delight when he came back. He has very great, he has a great hands great feet and it's nice to have an additional number nine as you guys know you know when you're playing ball um and you know he, he's one of these guys that just loves playing and one thing he'll bring to new england is he will bring tempo so when we have sean playing sean is a real vertical guy right sean does he's looking for a fight sometimes instead of giving us the ball so sean will just take it and go vertical get it on with a couple dudes tom wants to just get it and move it and he brings extraordinary tempo and, you know, maybe now with some law uh, adjustments could be just what the doctor ordered, you know, for these, for, um, for New England. But, you know, Tom's demeanor and professional approach to the game, just, I think it just bodes well for the program and 
his family, him, I don't know, the teammates, uh, he doesn't never bitch, never moaned. Um, you think, you know, some guys would or just say, screw it, I'm going to leave. And, you know, it didn't happen, you know. So all those guys, it's incredible. But Tom's, Tom's a good ball player. Well, he's, he was the 16th guy. I just added the three this year that gets you to 16, buddy. I'm, I'm looking out for you, OB. Hey, mate, talk, <laughs> talk, talk a little bit Nick, about – What about Nick, what about, uh, Nick Horikowitz? Yeah, throw him in too. Well, is he signed? Or is he, oh, is this a scoop, I, OB? I, I have – the whisper I got from him was um, Seattle. There you have it. Hot off the presses. Breaking news. Lock Breaking it in. Breaking news. But, you hey, know, I don't – don't quote me. Well, OB, that's actually leads <laughs> to my next question for you, mate. How, how was your interaction with teams leading up to the draft? Were there teams reaching out to you, scouts reaching out to you, asking, were they asking more rugby-related questions, character-related questions? How was that process for you as a, yeah, as a leading say, college coach? Yeah, I, um, my knowledge of them, is a, of the MLR, is probably about the same as theirs of the college game, most of the guys. You know, I don't know them. They don't know me. They don't know us. I do think this is going to be – we are going to see some dynamic changes in those relationships now. Um, Brendan O'Meara coaches with us, you know, captain for us at St. Mary's, was an extraordinary player, uh, sort of been, has been coaching the U-20s. He knows maybe more, you know, more guys in MLR. Um, so MLR guys were contacting Brendan. When they were contacting me, it was just about, hey, tell me about your guys. A um, little bit about them as people a little bit about them as play, a little bit about them in terms of, do you think they could be a contributor? Can they make this giant leap, um, et cetera? And um, those were, Dan, those were the type of questions that, that, that I would get. Um, and, you know, for a lot of us in the rugby business, you know, after a while you start getting into it, you know, I could talk a dog off a meat wagon here, just getting into rugby stuff, you know? So um, I thought that we're, positive conversations um you know brendan put together film clips for most of the guys he helped tom did a bit of his um you know guys needed film and you know in some of our competition you know some of our it's, it's hard for some of these guys to watch our film and really grade a guy out sometimes because our comp sometimes some of our competitors are not that strong um but i think they were just questions like a couple of guys just of us talking about what i'm saying here about you know, Aaron and Derek and, and Tom or Nick, you know, hey, good people. Do you want them on their team? Do they add value? How do they add value? Do they study? You know, do they, do they question authority? I want a guy that questions authority. I don't want any yes men around. Um, you know, that's, that's it. You know, do they provide, can they provide us value? Um, my retort back would be, can you provide this kid value? Like, what's it going to do him any good? You know, you're going to bring in some foreign dudes and, and get him out? Or what type of an academy do you have? What type of developmental piece do you have to offer? You know, who are you guys? You know, we got a lot of mercenary coaches around here, as you, as you guys know. So, um, you know, sometimes players need some stability in the, in, with the coaches and who's teaching them. You know, because you can't just go from Coach A that loves it this way to Coach B that likes it that way, Coach, coach C likes it a different way, and try to be – you know, blend all that together sometimes it can be tough. Yeah, you got one of those mercenaries on this podcast too, but I won't name it. I was going to make a comment. Listen, I was going to make a comment there, but I don't know Pete, you know, really. What? So what? I'll be cool about <laughs> Come that. Come on. Come on. <laughs> uh, sorry, Pete. We've been here long enough, though, <laughs> taking enough of our money that well, I guess we're cool. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, OB, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been too long between drinks for you and I. Appreciate you coming on the show. We'd love to see you out at an MLR game at some point in the future to catch up properly, my man. But loving what you're doing at St. Mary's and I'm sure a lot of MLR fans appreciate the, the players that you are producing at St. Mary's who are going on to be superstars in the professional game here in the U.S. So we just want to add value, for- Dan. Yeah, thank you. No, it's my pleasure to, to join in this Anytime, OB. It's an open invitation on the show, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Pete. I appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Take care, guys. There you have it. Interesting to hear both perspectives here. You know, obviously with Elaine, Pete, on the the team side of things, their evaluation and how things changed when they had the four picks, but they felt pretty comfortable with a pretty deep pool of players they'd already evaluated. And uh, interesting for Tim, like the evolution now for a college coach who will have to kind of look at things differently as players want to go play professionally in the U.S. on how they prepare players and how they promote players as well. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, I think um, hearing Tim talk about the the relationships with the assistant coach at St. Mary's, um, I think, you know, uh, uh, these coaches are going to hear more and more earlier and earlier from the major league rugby teams. And, you know, what I loved about both of those interviews, and we talked to Elaine a little bit sort of um, after the recording, is how both of them are so passionate about the game. Um, And, you know, Elaine had mentioned that, um, you know, she was really impressed by by the passion and the reason why some of these guys were, you know, even picked up the sport. I mean, we, we still have to remember that when some of these guys that were top athletes in high school, it, it's still, you know, there's barriers to entry to pick up a rugby ball and play. And so, um, you know, interesting to hear, um, you know, uh, Tim O'Brien talk about that with some of their players. And, you know, Tim's just so passionate. Like, I think we could have probably, you know, gone another 30 minutes you could just see he was just so passionate about his players and about what he does um you know in St. Mary's I think it's going to be uh um I I think I think you said 16 Dan 16 um, potentially 16 this year yeah which is which is really incredible for a school as Tim said has um 1100 uh um male students I mean really really what a powerhouse that is yeah it certainly is and it, it was fascinating too to just kind of listen to the inside of like teams and how they're approaching the college game now as well. It's just, it's just only good things can come of this Pete in terms of, I think kids will see a pathway now and you may hear some of these stories, you know, we're going to talk to two players that were drafted and we're going to hear stories similar to some of the other draft picks where rugby will become a more noticeable sport on campus because of this. You might have some players kind of seeking out rugby who are, you know, athletes in other sports who want to give it a go now because it is being put to the front with the draft and, and other things that Major League Rugby are doing. So good stuff. Absolutely, Dan. Well, I, I think it's going to be great to hear from the players just to hear about their experience. And we have the guy that was picked first and we have the guy that was picked last. So we're bookending them. We certainly are. Very smart there. There's too much meat in the middle of the sandwich. So we just got two slices of bread and away we go. So let's bring them into the show. Connor, the money man, Mooneyham, and Cole, Mr. Incredible, not irrelevant, Zarconi. We caught up with both of them earlier as well. All right, joined now by the number one draft pick for the 2020 draft, the Dallas Jackals. They selected Connor Mooneyham, and Connor joins us now from Texas. Not Dallas yet. You're in Houston, big fella. How are you going? And obviously, thanks for joining the show, mate. Things are going great. 
um, I'm, I'm super excited about the move to Dallas in a, in a couple of months. Now, I spoke to you on Saturday during the draft. Obviously, it was pretty fresh then. The emotions were still pretty high. How have the last uh, you know, week and, and some change been for you after the draft? Uh, things definitely haven't slowed down yet just because I'm graduating college this weekend and I have my wedding next week. So it's still pretty hectic. A draft, graduation, a wedding, you know, quiet month for you, Connor? No, not at all. It's been wild for sure. How how has the uh, communication been with Dallas since the draft? Uh, Phil Cam, obviously the GM selected you. Have Alan or Elaine reached out since then? Yes, both of them have reached out to me. It's been great working with them this whole process. Um, you know, I don't think I mentioned it before, but they were the only two to actually FaceTime me leading up to the draft out of every other team. So, you know, they've always tried to have that great connection with their players. Yeah, it, it was interesting actually listening to some of the scouting processes coming out of the draft. How was yours in terms of your communication? Obviously, it's FaceTime, you just mentioned that, but... How many teams contacted you and, you know, were there any, you always hear about like the interesting draft questions, you know, at the combine in the NFL. Did you get any interesting questions coming from the teams during this process? Oh, for sure. Um, you know, me being from multiple places, I had lived in California, in Texas, Argentina, Utah, Georgia. I just got a lot of questions about my background and, and where I was truly from. Um, and uh, a few teams reached out to me. Um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't everyone in the league for sure, but it, it was a few teams. All right. So it's all done now. You've got everything in front of you with Dallas. Looking at Major League Rugby in 2020, who are you looking forward to playing against the most now? <laughs> playing against? Against, wow. yeah. Um, obviously, I'm looking forward to playing against a lot of my old teammates. You know, that'll be, that'll be great. That'll be fun stuff. Um, and obviously some of the legends of rugby you know, just coming into the league and a lot of big names are in it. You know, you got Rene Ranger, you have Ma Nonu. That's... Well, Chris Robshaw just announced going to the Legion as well. So right. a big name coming over. Now, Cam Dolan, he's just down the road in New Orleans. He said he's the greatest thing ever to come out of Life University. <laughs> Cam was never picked first in the draft. So you've got that one over him. Any other words for uh, Cam? Before Dallas, <laughs> look, Cam, Cam didn't have a draft to look forward to, so we will never know what what would have really happened. Just off the record, we'll edit this out. Cam wouldn't have been picked first anyway. Overrated. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's the timeline look like for you now? Obviously, you've got a lot personally going on with your graduation and wedding. Um, a honeymoon will be interesting in the current landscape for travel. But when are you looking uh, at getting to Dallas and getting settled settled in in uh, D Town? So we're looking at mid-October, and then we will start preseason shortly after. So your soon-to-be wife, or just for argument's sake, we'll call her your wife because you're not going to get cold feet between now and then. What's she going to do? Obviously coming to Dallas with you, but uh, she already started looking in the Dallas area for some stuff to do for herself to keep busy? Oh, for sure. Um, she's been she's looking around for jobs. We've we've looked at fun things to do while, while living in Dallas. We're both really excited for the move. Um, Elaine and Alan have both expressed their concerns for her and that they would be willing to help her find a job as well. well let's do it. Let's do it on the show. What's let's, this is now the MLR recruiter podcast. What's she do for a living? Let's put it out to the people in Dallas. <laughs> Morgan. Uh, so my fiance, um, she is great. She's way more relatable than I am. Um, she is a bio major. 
she will be graduating with a biology degree. Um, she right now is currently working as a waitress for one of our local restaurants here in Houston, but um, she can do anything. She's great. Is she there right now? She's not. She's actually oh, working. Oh, I was going to put her right on the hot seat then and say, you 30 seconds to sell yourself to the MLR community. <laughs> All right, mate, let's talk a little bit about, you know, obviously your time at Life University. Uh, great program. Uh, you started with, was Scott Lawrence your head coach when you started? So when I first started, it was actually Dan Payne only for a few months. And then Man, you two, old. Yeah, I am old. And then uh, Tui Osborne took over. Oh, Tui's uh, a legend. Yeah, Tui is definitely a legend. Um, then he got that, uh, the offer to go up to St. Bonnie's. Then Scott Lawrence took over. And then Colton was my last coach. See, that's a very interesting because obviously four very unique personalities there. What have you sure. taken from all four of those head coaches during your time at Life? Um, Life University definitely has established itself with its core values. Um, no matter the coach or their style, the, the players and the unity and the bond between the team and their coaches was, was always the same. Pano, anything from Pano in particular? I know. Uh, I remember specifically a few practices where we'd go train on the upper field in the mud and we would be wrestling against the wrestling team. And that was, that was good stuff for sure. Oh, he loved it. Did, did he yeah. have a Thunderdome down there? The oh yeah. Yeah. Oh geez. That thing was just, I, I would, it was remarkable. Yeah, that, the number of injuries I got when that thing was <laughs> yeah, that started carried, to get assembled. That carried on for sure. The, the Thunderdome. Those are good yeah. times. Fun practices. Yeah. In hindsight, maybe, but not at the time. Uh, he's a legend <laughs> too, Pano. Well, let's, uh, I, know, I know you're going to give me the generic answer of like, you're going to play wherever they need you and, you know, whatever's best for the team. But where would you like to see yourself playing for Dallas next year? What position? Um, obviously, I'd, I'd play wherever they put me. But, um, you know, I really thought that I excelled at wing at Life University. I was put into the centers this last season. Um, I really enjoyed it. It's definitely a different position for me. In high school, I played a lot of fly half and fullback, um, but anywhere, you know, fullback, wing, outside center, those would be great positions for sure. Yeah, I think, do you think your versatility had a lot to do with the fact that they did take you number one at all, that you are pretty, uh, a pretty high level player at all those positions? Um, I think, so I remember when I was on call with them at the beginning of this whole process and they said that they definitely took in um, character. They took character into account over a lot of things. So I think that that had to do with a lot of it. Oh, making me get all emotional here, Connor. I'm like, that's, that's awesome, man. And you did do um, a big part of obviously your journey, not rugby related, but your journey personally was your mission down to Argentina. And you've had a lot of people from Argentina reaching out after the draft too, which is kind of cool. Tell us a little bit about that journey down there with, uh, with the church. And then obviously some of the messages you've been getting from down in South America since then. Cool. Um, so with the church, um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you don't get to really choose where you're going to go on your on your mission. So when I opened up my mission call and I saw Argentina, the first thing I thought was, well, Messi, <laughs> Messi lives down there. Um, I don't know Spanish. Uh, it was definitely a great experience. Definitely a huge culture shock for me just to see 
everything down there definitely humbled me, you know, being with a lot of companions, not from the U.S. I lived with a lot of people from, from different countries, from Chile, from Brazil, from Paraguay, from Colombia, a lot of places. And, you know, just seeing all those cultures and how everybody can just mix together was, was a great experience for me. Did you play any rugby while you're down there? So during a mission, you're allowed to have one day during the week where you're, you're kind of, it's like your off day. Um, and during those days, I did have a rugby ball. I would just kind of kick around in a little, little placita with, <laughs> with some of my uh, other companions, but nothing, nothing formal. I did get invited out to a few places, which was kind of interesting that um, I said I was wearing a Life University shirt and somebody actually knew about the college down there. And they invited me to one of their practices, but I was unfortunately unable to uh, attend. Ah, that's a shame. They've uh, obviously made huge leaps in terms of rugby in the last 10, 15 years. So it would have sure. been interesting to see the, the demographic of the local rugby scene down there now. Yeah. All right, the, buddy. Uh, oh, sorry. You go. Yeah, no worries. Um, the rugby atmosphere down there is, is different than here. Here it's kind of like, uh, you know, everybody plays football. Everybody plays baseball different sports up here basketball and down there um it's kind of like almost like the upper class play rugby so it was definitely a different culture for sure yeah well i'm not going to hold you any longer you've got a graduation to get ready for a wedding to get ready for and then uh, a major league rugby season in 2021 to get ready for as well uh very excited mate happy for you as i said on saturday during the draft and once again, let me just reiterate that. We're all very excited and can't wait to call you next year playing for the newly formed Dallas Jackals. I appreciate it, Dan. Go Jackals. Yes, sir. Did I, did I say that right? Is it go you Jackals? Or was, oh, good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Connor Mooneyham, number one draft pick, Dallas Jackal for Major League Rugby 2021, a Life University graduate. Thanks again, Connor. I appreciate your time, mate. Thank you. Well, welcome, Cole Zarconi. The 24th pick, the last pick of the inaugural MLR draft. Welcome to MLR kickoff. Oh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, before we get to the draft and your selection by San Diego, let's go all the way back to the start of your rugby career, which actually started on the football field at Central Washington. So talk to us a little bit about how you went from being a football player at Central Washington and what brought you to rugby. Yeah, so I grew up playing football my entire life. I, uh, from the age of six all the way up, and it wasn't even until high school where I started to actually know what rugby was. Uh, my older brother, Austin Colville, had played, uh, but he just, you know, when I was, in, you know, growing up my whole life, he trying to get me to play, trying to get me to play, but I'm like, no, like, I'm good at football. I, you know, I'm enjoying track. I don't really want to make the switch. Uh, so... Yeah, then I was able to, you know, play through high school and come to Central to play. Uh, played for a year, was enjoying it, uh, but just there were some things not going my way scholarship-wise and just the experience wasn't what I was looking for. Uh, so once the school ended in June, I talked to my brother Austin, kind of figuring out pathways. What am I going to do here? What am I going to do? And uh, he was like, Cole, you should try rugby. You know, you're at one of the you know, best programs in the country. And and so that's what we decided. I set my mind to it and went home and learned how to play sevens that summer and then uh, made, the, made the team and had to walk on again to, to Central, the, the rugby program. Obviously, we were able to do scholarships, which is amazing. And, uh, but I had to 
prove myself and showed up pretty much playing almost no rugby and uh but the program just helped me kind of take off from there now you know for for most crossover athletes when they go from a sport they're very good at and then they come to this brand new sport which initially they're not very good at was there a struggle for you at the start what what did you find most difficult and when did you realize that rugby was actually the sport that you really think you could excel uh, you know, starting with sevens, you know, I obviously I didn't know how to pass didn't know, you know, the tackling was different, you know, switching that up and, uh, but I kind of caught on pretty quickly, you know, same thing, you know, put me on the wing and, you know, was able to score a decent amount of tries right away. And that just sparked my excitement for the game. <laughs> right. Uh, Everyone's like, like yeah, in sevens, I'm fast. Yeah. If I'm fast in sevens, I can be really good at this game. Right? Yeah. It's so like... it was just instant, like, man, this is awesome. What a cool sport. <laughs> what a cool like community that I was already around down in Portland. And, um, but the switch was more, you know, just the, the rugby knowledge and why are people doing what they are and why are you running the way you do? And, you know, the switch athletically wasn't that tough for me. Obviously, you know, training at a high level through high school and just being in weights and playing college football, like, you know, the physical aspect of what we do on the football field and rugby field are pretty similar. Uh, so it was just kind of getting into a rugby field and, and just seeing what guys are doing and the knowledge that they had. And that's what I lacked. And so my coach always talks to me that's throughout the last four years and still right now, he's like, Cole, athletically, there's not, you know, you're at such a high level compared to a lot of people and your athletic ability to, to do a lot of things is amazing, but we've got to, and my rugby knowledge and ability to do well on it on the pitch has slowly been raised like going up and up. And so that's just what we've been trying to catch is to have both those be similar. And, um, but yeah, so the switch really wasn't that hard for me athletically. It was more just the mental side, learning the game, learning the rules and, and being, you know, I was thrown right into it. You know, I, I started right away my first year and, and played a lot of big games really early. And I think that helped me throughout my career moving forward with Central. And, and when did it, when did you start thinking about like professional rugby as a career? How early was that? And you, like, like, was that like straight away? You're like, oh, maybe I could do this professionally. Or was it when, you know, MLR launch, which I guess would be in your sophomore season? Yeah, so my sophomore year, my freshman year, well, technically my sophomore year, it would have been my junior right. year of college because of, yeah, the first year with football. But, yeah, I think it was probably after my first year. That first year, actually, of me playing was the first year of pro rugby, that first pro that started, the first league. And my brother actually made that San Francisco team. He played down at Life West Chiropractic down there, won a D2 national championship, and uh, so that was kind of going on right when I was starting. Uh, so I knew of it, but obviously we didn't know what it was, what was going to come from it. Uh, but yeah, I think it was once my sophomore year kicked on and that the pro rugby started to come into play. And I realized, you know, I started, I think my sophomore year was kind of my breakout year to kind of start and get my name out there. And then it was, you know, I'd always wanted to be a professional athlete, whether it was football or rugby. So it didn't really change much. But then to see the pathway come up was, it was, yeah, a no brainer for me knowing what I wanted. So let's talk a little bit about your preparation for the draft. Um, did you talk to teams? Were your coaches talking to teams? Did you have any idea if you were going to be drafted going into draft day? Uh, not really. I mean, I, so yeah, I applied just like normal, obviously, and, and uh, knew that Todd, my coach, head coach Todd Thornley, was going to you know, help me out through the process because I knew I wasn't going to be able to do it on my own. 
and uh, really it just started out with most teams were reaching out to him actually, and then he would you know text me, hey, this this team just asked, this team just asked. And then eventually it kind of stopped because he was like most teams had called asking about Brian and I. Um, but yeah, uh, only three teams actually. Um, you know, I, it was Boston, Dallas, and uh, Atlanta. Uh, who I had personally, you know, was talking to just very briefly, though it wasn't anything super serious. And then I had, I personally knew Zach Test, and we had communicate. I communicated to him right when the draft had happened, but then I never heard of anything again. That's why, you know, going into the draft, and we'll probably get into this a little bit later, but I, I had no idea that they were even interested or an option. Uh, so those were kind of the routes, but you know, Todd. Talking to Todd and what he knew, he's like, Cole, you're going to get drafted. We just don't really know where. And so even going into the, the day of, I had no idea. Uh, he had no idea really either. Um, but he's like, I know you're going to go. But then, you know, when draft day was going and my name kept falling and falling and falling, I was kind of questioning it for sure. But so there was little con little communication at first. And, you know, I just trusted that, you know, or really just believed that a team would, you know, want me and, and trust in what I can do for them. Now, where, where were you on draft day? And, and, was, and did you have family with you? Yep. So, yeah, down in Camas, Washington. Um, I was born in Kirkland, but we once I was four, we moved there and still the same house I grew up in. And, yep, family, friends, there's about 30 of us. And then, you know, little ones, too, from my older siblings. And uh, so, yeah, we just gathered together and, and we're all in a room tight together and watching it happen. So it was, uh, it was amazing, you know, hour and a half. So, so, so hold on, hold on. Like, like the 23th, 23rd pick happened yeah. and it wasn't you. Had you had like, had you like in your head, were you sort of like, Hey, it's going to be okay. Someone will pick me up as a free agent. Like, were you already like past the draft by the time San Diego picked you? Honestly, kind of. Uh, I think so when it hit me, you know, I honestly got a little teary. I had 21 goes by Dallas had, picked their fourth pick and still wasn't me and I'm just you know starting to lose the hope a little and and yeah my lifelong coach had came up to me and we talked and uh he's just like Cole you you know you've been undervalued under and kind of an underdog your whole life and if you're a free agent you're a free agent it's gonna work out like you're gonna go somewhere and and it, you're gonna work hard and, and be successful and so then we're like all right we're good but there's no no one's talking there's no air in the room <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm, I'm starting to kind of look at the TV and I'm pretty far away. Uh, it was kind of fun to kind of be able to, I could see other people and see their reactions. And, and uh, 22 went, you know, I think it was LA, then DC at 23. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I, I kind of was crouched and I, and I saw my, my highlight. Uh, I knew that it was my play right away. And I just, we kind of, and I heard the scream start before the, uh, the, she said my name actually. Oh, that's awesome. That must have been just like an awesome moment for you to, to share that with all of your friends and family. What a, like, like uh, including all of the tension that led up to it. Like if you were pick number 12, right, yeah. it wouldn't have been so big, but number 24 no. must have been, must have been, must have been crazy. And then when, you know, um, did you, did you hear from Zach? Like, did you, uh, did you hear from San Diego and, 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 and what did they tell you? Yeah. So it was a few minutes after, obviously, I think they knew that we'd be just screaming, crying, doing all kinds of stuff right after. So uh, it was a couple of minutes after I had the, the phone was ringing and, and yeah, it was Zach called me and we talked for a little bit. He was just so proud of me and, you know, excited to have me down and just kept telling me congratulations. And, and, you know, me and Zach met three years ago, actually, when my sophomore year after a couple of, we had won West Coast sevens and played in San Jose and, 
and uh, so we met then and kind of had stayed in touch these last few years. And he's just been watching me develop as a player these, you know, through the last few years. And he knew that's kind of where I would hopefully be able to go with my game. And uh, so we kind of had talked about that. So it was fun to kind of look back on where I had come from and where we had met to now, you know, him picking me in the draft. So it's a pretty awesome story. Uh, and yeah, I wouldn't take it for anything. You know, t being 24 was terrible. The hour and a half sucked, but to end up going to San Diego and to be with Zach and the other, all the other, the organization as a whole is just amazing. Yeah, and you've got you, you're gonna have some pretty good teammates there, right? So you're gonna have Mar yeah. Nonu, and yeah. you're gonna now have Chris Robshaw, as well as like there's a bunch of studs that are there. Some some U.S. Eagles in the outside backs that you that that you can learn from, like. Ryan Mattias. I mean, it's going to be, it's, it's, it's going to be yeah. a great experience. And of course, Zach is one of, you know, these guys that has, has, has made it played at the highest level and, and, you know, young enough to be able to connect with you and, and have it's, it's going to be a great, a great journey. Let's, let's just finish a little bit about like what you're looking forward to um, most about your first um, MLR season. Like when you think about it, what is it that, that that's really exciting you about, um, about playing for the uh, San Diego region? I mean, it's tough. Obviously, there's so much. I mean, obviously, just being down in San Diego, sunny San Diego, and just to be in a new town and new experience. Uh, but I think number one is really just to, to be in a new culture and to have just to be surrounded by a group of guys that are really going to challenge me. Uh, you know, Central, I am where I am because of the, you know, the athletes that have come through Central. But to just go and to be embraced into this new professional atmosphere that will challenge me and allow me to grow as a rugby player. Uh, and is that's probably my number one and just to to learn and grow and be a pioneer for this sport and it's really just so exciting and you know I'm just keen to get down there really and and whether that's in November or early in the fall uh, but just ready for something new uh, you know Central's been great for me the last five years technically um, but yeah excited to just have a new journey really. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine um, being a rugby player in his early 20s living in San Diego. That's going to be really, yeah. really rough. But, but, you know, I know Central Washington's pretty dry, but where you grew up, like, it's going to be, like, it's going to be unusual for you. It's going to be, like, sunny in December and January yep. down there. So you're going to have to make sure you, you get a lot of sunblock down there. Oh, totally. Yeah, we've been joking about that for the last, like, week or so. Just, yeah, I'm going to have to have, like, a gallon of sunscreen because uh, we're only used to a few months up here. So it'll be good. I mean, Ellensburg is a lot sunnier than where I'm from in Camas. Uh, but, yes, definitely going to enjoy the sun. And, you know, luckily it's never too hot, but it, it'll, yeah, I'm going to have to be careful for sure. Well, Cole, thank you so much for taking your time and joining MLR Kickoff. Um, we're all very excited to see you step on the field, and we're all going to be following your professional rugby journey very closely. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And there you have it. Number one and number 24. Um, it's funny, you know, it's funny that first, pick first and pick last, usually in another draft, you'd say obviously the first pick's going to play a lot, but... I think the opportunity for Cole is just as good as it is for Connor. You know, what he has in front of him with San Diego there as well, Pete. Well, you could hear how, um, how excited he was um, to be going to San Diego. You know, he'd, he'd had some connection with Zach Tess. Zach Tess is going to be great for him. He's going to, you know, he's going to be playing next to Marnonu, right? This is a guy that has the athleticism to really be an elite player, but needs to um, continue to learn the game. And he's got, 
um, you know, some some um, US international outside backs that can uh, teach him. And it's going to be interesting to see how he does, because I think that he, he does bring that that unusual athleticism of that crossover athlete. But I actually think, Dan, I think Mooneyham's got a great shot of being um, a starter on that Dallas team. I think he was one of the most uh, MLR-ready players in the draft. I think that's a very, very smart pick by Dallas. Yeah, as we got very close to draft day and talking to some of the teams, Pete, trying to get a little bit of insight to what was going to happen, his name was just kind of almost became a consensus at the number one pick within you know the last 48 hours there. So I agree with you. And interesting for, for Cole, his head coach, Zach Tess, has the exact same pathway he did. You know, he was a right. wide receiver, tried to play college football, ended up going the rugby route and you know was an Olympian by the end of it. So lofty expectations on poor Cole there to reach the same heights that Zach tested. But he has the pathway in front of him, what Zach did with his career. You know, I think he was at Oregon, was uh, trying to get on the, the, the Mighty Ducks, not the hockey team, the football team up there. And you know, rugby just became a better option for him. So going to be exciting to watch all these young guys next year. And, and I think a lot of eyes that follow the draft will then follow them on their pathway. And a lot of their supporters from their universities will probably follow them now that there is that pathway onto these MLR teams. So it should be a good influx of new fans coming to those teams with selected players. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's one of those things like any draft, right? You don't know um, how good it's going to be for a couple of years. I think there are, you know, um, players that are in this draft, um, like Cole, that may not start their first year, but could end up being real stars. Um, and I, you know, there's things like, uh, um, you know, there's, there's others like, like Brian Nolt that I think is going to be, you know, getting onto the field, um, pretty quickly. I think what's going to be really interesting, and we've heard this from different teams, Dan, is that there's more and more of a focus in having some kind of development program in the fall, because a lot of these players are going to find themselves on the bench and they need to play rugby to get better, and they need to play men's rugby to get better. So I think we're going to see more teams running developmental programs, a little bit like Atlanta did with their 404 squad last year, where they're playing in the fall, where they try and get these guys, you know, four, five games, five men's rugby games in the fall to prepare them for Major League Rugby in the spring. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to be, uh, it's going to be a challenge for some of these young guys to find those resources, Pete. So... Let's hope there's something out there that can uh, help them along their way. Mate, let's go around the grounds now with some of the undrafted free agent pickups that we've seen in the last week. And probably the biggest name that went in my eyes was Connor Buckley. Uh, everyone had him as a high, you know, high draft choice. Rooney, when they traded out of the draft, that was probably his number one destination. So, Steve Lewis, uh, the new GM or assistant GM, or we're still figuring out his title out there. He comes out of this smelling like uh, the Scottish flower that he is, and he gets foreign spot and he gets his man in Connor Buckley, who will become the heir apparent to Mike Petrie out there. And they also pick up uh, a couple other players as well that haven't been announced yet that I'm allowed to talk about. Uh, Nola Gold, got Jack Webster from LSU. He's a guy who's pretty high on my board. Yeah, I think I think this is going to be a really interesting pick. Look, you know, we 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 know that there are teams like Nola, like Dallas, like Utah that are really investing in the draft. I think one of the interesting things for me is how quickly some of these guys were picked up. It shows you 
that there's more quality players or the teams believe there are more quality players than just 24. It shows you that, that, that there, and like, like you said, you'll see more pickups as you go through. I think Jack Webster going to NOLA is going to be really interesting. NOLA's got a lot of experienced players um, in that backfield. A lot of them, um, you know, are foreign players that have come in with sort of high level super rugby experience. I think he's going to learn a lot there. And I think he's going to be someone that's going to be given a chance. So I, I think that, um, and also a local boy, right? Never hurts to have a local guy come in. So LSU play again, another goal. I think that was a real smart pickup. Yeah, Baton Rouge, not too far away there from New Orleans. So that is a good pickup indeed. Uh, we'll stay on NOLA because this has probably been one of the bigger moves in the offseason. They trade a foreign slot to San Diego for Devin Short. Now, Devin Short is a name that most people will be aware of. Year one, he kind of exploded onto the scene, came out of Las Vegas to San Diego, had a great year. Year two, the development continued. He struggled for, for playing time. Uh, initially in 2020, Pete, and I know we've had a shortened season, but didn't see the field as much as what we thought. And his meteoric rise kind of plateaued at San Diego. So a fresh start for short in Nola Gold. I actually love this trade. I think this is a great trade from Ryan Fitzgerald. And I think Devin Short has the potential to be, be an eagle for a long time in that seven jersey. So great player, great kid, and excited to see what he can do down there with Nate Osborne and Nola Gold, Pete. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, they've got, um, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll get to play with uh, Cam Dolan, one of, one, you know, a USA great in that back row. I think he's going to learn a lot. I think that, um, you know, Nate Osborne's going to give him a chance. I, it, it was always going to be tough in San Diego once they started bringing in some guys. Um, you know, they've, they've, you know, San Diego really built some depth in that back row. Lots of very, very athletic players. But I agree with you. I think Devon's going to be there. I think he's going to be, you know, competing with um, Malcolm May. I think both of those guys have a lot of potential. I know Nate is very high on Malcolm. He started for them this year. So you can see those two guys, um, especially with the way Nola want to play a wide open game, you could see them playing two sevens, a little bit like, um, uh, you know, the Australian, the, the Wallabies have been doing recently. So two sevens maybe so they can play um, a little bit more of a wider, faster game. But I, I have a lot of time for Devin. Um, he's a great, he's a great kid. And I think that um, it's a great move for him. And it's also like, this is like one of these moves that both teams are winners, right? So, um, you know, you, you can see San Diego, you can see they probably need, they're, or they're going to want an extra slot. They're definitely looking at, they've got a team that looks like it can win now. And then you look at Nola, who, you know, are really looking at the long term and developing U.S. talent. So neither of those philosophies are right or wrong. They're just different. And this is a trade that helps both of them. Yep, I agree. And then a player that uh, Tim O'Brien talked about and you talked about, Tim Brissati, he goes from St. Mary's to New England as a free agent pickup, as well as Jack Miller from University of Colorado as well. Uh, interesting player, Miller. I think he's played a bit of center and a bit of back row for the Buffaloes, All-American. So going for two young dynamic players there up at the Free Jacks as well. So some, some good to see some movement after the draft as well for some of those free agents, Pete. Yeah, it is. And I think that, you know, you're seeing a little bit from the Free Jacks and probably sort of Alex Magleby's connection with the college game, both as, um, you know, the director of rugby at Dartmouth, but also as the head of, um, high performance and national teams at USA Rugby. I mean, I think they're going to have, and remember they've got, you know, US-based coaches. So New England will know that, you know, the uh, the landscape pretty well. And so, um, 
you know, it, it, like I said, I think it, these immediate free agent pickups tell me that the teams believe that there's quality players that weren't drafted. And I think that's good for the college game. And I think it's good for Major League Rugby. Absolutely. Absolutely, buddy. And then uh, we'll stay on uh, the Dallas Jackals. You know, Elaine Bassey was uh, pretty good at keeping the cards close to the chest there when we grilled her on some player movements, but one that has been announced now, Cody O'Neill from the Raptors um, expansion. Or was it expansion draft? Yeah, it is an expansion draft, I guess, because they're the expansion team. So the Raptors playing players being dispersed between LA and Dallas. Cody O'Neill. Young back rower, Locke, he goes to the Dallas Jackals as well. And there should be some more players being announced from that shortly as well, Pete. Yeah, so I mean, I a, think a good, good, good pickup, good it's young a player. Really though. good pickup. I think, I think Cody O'Neill is a, a, a real quality, you know, MLR experienced player. I think both the, um, both Dallas and LA need people that have played in the MLR. They can't just, you know, it, it can't be a, a bunch of college and club guys plus some foreigners, right? And so I think that the, I think for both Dallas and LA, it's been a bit of a bonus that um, the Raptors have withdrawn from the league and it gives them a pool of players that they can sign that they know can compete. Um, and I think that, um, you know, being important for both of those squads. So I think you're right. I think we'll hear more about that. Yeah. And then obviously I forgot up in Toronto, uh, the news, Obviously, Sam Malcolm will be going to Japan. His replacement was quickly announced on Juan Cruz Gonzalez from Argentina. Very similar player to Malcolm. A smaller stature guy, but very dynamic around the field. Can play. I think he's played most of his rugby at 10. Uh, with, with Taylor Adams potentially coming back as well, you could see a similar situation with Malcolm and Adams in 2020 there with those guys kind of rotating around, as, uh, especially on face play, as you know, ball playing at first receiver, second receiver style play with the fullback there. So that's a great pickup um, for the Arrows who also announced, unfortunately, that uh, their captain Dan Moore retired. Uh, that's going to be a huge loss. I'm sure he'll still be involved though, Pete. Dan Moore, I think you went on uh, social media and already put your thoughts out there. And I did the same not too long after that. But Dan Moore is just an amazing guy. Uh, a great, you know, rugby person and it'd be a shame if he's lost to the game completely so i hope he stays involved i'm sure he will stay involved with the arrows in some capacity well i think dan has been really instrumental to the um the development of the arrows uh very unlucky to miss out um on the world cup last summer which i think was was i'm sure one of his goals uh but a great player he's been a good leader um i think he's you know, it's, it was disappointing for the season to end early because I think you in particular, Dan, were like, hey, it's going to be uh, Toronto and San Diego in the final. And it certainly looked like that. The Arrows certainly looked, looked like a complete team. But um, he's a very, very smart guy. He's going to go on and be successful with whatever he does. And um, I think uh, whether it's in the short term or the long term, I'm sure he'll come back to the game and, and provide value. Oh, absolutely. Any other thoughts, Pete? Oh, any other thoughts, man, that's... Uh, that's rugby related? Oh, rugby related. Rugby related. Well, it's been great to be able to watch some rugby. So I've been watching some of the uh, um, uh, rugby from, from New Zealand. It looks like that they might have some rugby coming from Australia, Dan. So it's been great to be able to watch, uh, watch some of that. And, and then, you know, the Mitre 10 in New Zealand will, will, will pick up and there'll probably be some of, uh, some of our major league guys... Um, Major League Rugby guys playing down there. So hopefully there'll be an opportunity for us to watch some of those um, a little bit later in the year. 
Yeah, they said uh, club rugby returning full swing shortly in New Zealand. So should be uh, should be good. Yeah, I've been recording the games. Haven't got the dedication to get up at three in the morning and watch them just No, yet. I am not. I am not getting up at three o'clock in the morning. But the games have been pretty good. I mean, They're on the ESPN Plus too, so it's full yeah. on demand if you have yeah. that. Yeah, it, it is. It is on, and, that, and that's what I've been doing. I've been getting up and trying to watch a game um, on the weekend before Penelope gets up. And then Penelope gets up and, and I said, you want to watch rugby with me? And she says, no, I want to watch shows. I'm like, well, rugby's a show. And she goes, yeah, It's okay, not poor, poor Patrol, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, well, how about, you, how about we watch my shows and then you can watch rugby? And, and like, she's a much better negotiator than me, Dan. You've, you've been through that. You know what it's like. So, no, there, there is no negotiating. With there is no negotiating. There just... is no negotiating. And, and I think it's, uh, um, uh, you're going to jump off this, this, this recording and go and celebrate a uh, birthday of one of your kids, right? Yeah, Harrison, 12 today. So um, taking time out from his birthday celebrations, just tapping on his watch right now over my shoulder, just letting me know that my time's almost up and uh, we'll go celebrate a 12-year-old birthday party. So it's been a while since I've had a 12-year-old birthday party, Pete. I won't tell you how many years, but let's just say it's been quite a few. Well, I hope it... Um, please please let uh, um, Harrison know that the Major League Rugby kickoff crew are... Um, uh, wishing him a, a happy birthday and I, I I, hope you know and I'm sure Dan you're going to be a great dad and you're going to have a lot of fun so go and enjoy that will do thank you Pete Steinberg for Aaron Castro of course Pete Steinberg Dan Power Major League Rugby kickoff podcast the number one Major League Rugby podcast in the world check it go subscribe hit those buttons what do I have to do Pete five stars five stars leave a, leave a review um, subscribe um, wherever it is, whether it's Stitcher or um, uh, 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 iTunes, wherever you get your podcast, it helps other people find it. And we didn't do it this time, Dan, but we need to go back and have a look at the reviews and see what's out there. We'll do it Absolutely. Next. We've got a couple of weeks. We'll make sure we dig into those reviews and uh, all the feedback that we get, uh, both positive and negative. Positive for Pete, usually negative for me, but uh, I got a big chin, so I can take it. Until next time, folks, we'll see you then.